that's one of the difficult things as me as a filmmaker because I'm on that journey with him. You know, I have to identify myself as a filmmaker. What kind of filmmaker am I? Do I exploit the fact that, like, oh my God, I'm making a movie about the blind painter, or do I really want to tell the story of someone who I think who has, is an amazing artist who has an amazing journey? Whatever it takes is a podcast about just that. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get stuff done. Whether you're a filmmaker, painter, an entrepreneur, music, whether you're a tech person, artist, this podcast is about people getting stuff done and doing whatever it takes to do just that. This podcast is co-hosted by filmmakers Lindy Bustead and Dan Thornton. Whatever, whatever it, it takes, takes to get the art done. done. The independent cinema as far as it goes back has always been to give a voice to those who don't have voice or aren't represented. Right. And independent cinema has always been the home to of the, uh, uh, hopefully of the new, of the unique, mm -hmm. of the novel. Novel, not in a bad way, but like, let's do something different. Because we have the flexibility and the ability to, to do it and be nimble. So tell me about Keith. How'd you meet him? Keith. So Keith Salmon, good segue. Uh, Keith Salmon is someone that I met while I was working in the UK um, doing this work. And uh, 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 Keith Salmon is a landscape painter who lives in Scotland. Um, and he gets his inspiration from the Scottish countryside, the famed Scottish countryside, you know, that stars in films like uh, out, 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 I just almost said Outlier. <laughs> that would be a great... <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, outlier, it, it would be like, it would be Malcolm Gladwell in a kilt, like in, in the Highlands or something like that with a giant, instead of a, like a broadsword, like a giant pencil. <laughs> outlier. <laughs> it's Saturday morning, folks. I digress. So Keith gets his inspiration from essentially hill walking him and his, his, his partner, Anita Groves, who's a, who's a, um, a sculptor. He's an amazing painter. He, um, does these, these, these landscapes that, uh, you know, I mean, the Scottish landscape is like, it's kind of. Like, it's hard to, to fuck it up, like, in any medium, you know? It's like, if you can get it just basically right, it's so compelling. Um, but Keith paints these landscapes that, um, that he pushes the abstractions of them to such a degree that sometimes you always know you're looking at a landscape, but you're not quite sure. Some of them are more representative uh, than others, but he has this particular style that I really like, which is that he pushes the abstraction to the point where you know you're looking at a landscape, but you couldn't possibly describe what it is, but it's a really super amazingly compelling paint on canvas. Um, and sometimes in even these most abstract ways, you can even discern where it is, even mm. though it's like completely abstract, if you'd been there before or familiar with it. And part of what informs Keith's abstraction is that Keith is, is, is an art school trained artist. Okay. Um, um, but painting was not his original medium. He came to painting uh, uh, about 20 years ago um, because he realized he was a sculptor before that, that he could produce very quickly in painting what he couldn't in, in sculpting. And he made that decision because Keith lost almost all of his sight very suddenly, um, from diabetic retinopathy when he was in his early thirties and his paintings are absolutely amazing and gorgeous. And, 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 and is, uh, uh, growing an international audience of, collectors who like his work. Do you think people like his work because they know about his visual impairment or do they like his work because they just like his work? Uh, you know, it's, it, I, the, the, there's a slightly different question that I'm going to rephrase this because this is, as a documentary filmmaker, this is really the crux of part of what this story is about. 
And it's not an easy thing to talk about, even particularly with Keith. Keith doesn't like talking about this. Sorry, Keith, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, but um, And rightly so. It's not about his work. It's about what attracts people to look at his work in the first place. Are they attracted by the fact that it's like, oh, here's a, here's a great painter? Because he's obviously a great painter. He has a mm -hmm. lot of technique. And Keith and I talk a lot about technique, <clears throat> the, how he's able to do what he does given his uh, challenges. Um, he has a lot of technique. He knows what looks good and doesn't. He's an art school trained artist. He's mm -hmm. a naturally gifted individual, if you can use that term, gifted. Um, but the rub is, and Keith will talk about this, um, though I know he doesn't like to, is do people are attracted to him initially because he's the blind painter? or because he's a great painter. And he runs a studio in a, in a town on the west coast of Scotland called Irvin. Um, and Irvin is about, I don't know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes south of Glasgow. And he often keeps open studios where people can come wander in and out. And he has really interesting stories about how sometimes that's pretty weird when people come in, they don't know he's visually impaired, but the minute they, they, they see that he is, because it's kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, some people are not comfortable with that. And then some people just fixate on that. So he's constantly juggling his identity as an artist in relationship to his visual impairment. That's part of what the film is about. Well, so that's interesting. Um, you are shining a light on him mm -hmm. in a visual way mm -hmm. to where you can't hide that. And he agreed to be a part of it. What, what do you think yeah. is behind that? I, 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 I think Keith's attraction to the film and, and, and Keith is also wonderfully entrepreneurial. He loves selling his artwork. He's not the type of artist who's like, who's living in an ivory tower and is, is too good for this. He and, and, and his various business partners and associates are constantly looking at ways to get his paintings out there so that, that people can, can, can buy them essentially. I mean, he's full on up front. He's the most refreshing artist I've ever met in so many different ways. And one of that is like, yeah, I just want to sell my bloody paintings uh, and online stores or whatever. You know, I, I have open studios because I want people to come in and see the work and buy some stuff. You know, he's just full on. Like, it's so refreshing in, in some ways to talk to an artist. It's like, yes, I actually paint. I work as a painter and I sell my paintings and I want to sell more of them and I want to sell them at a higher price. I've never asked Keith this directly. But now I guess I'm asking him and we'll get some feedback from him, hopefully pleasant feedback, because it's delicate, you know, when you talk about people and their art and their people and their identities is the why he wants to be a subject of this film. I suspect because it'll sell more paintings. That's and, not a bad thing. No. And is he, but it, it sounds like possibly he's, he's willing to take the risk that people are going to see him and possibly that might be the only reason to see this film. That's one of the difficult things as me as a filmmaker, because I'm on that journey with him. You know, I have to identify myself as a filmmaker. What kind of filmmaker am I? Do I exploit the fact that like, oh my God, I'm making a movie about the blind painter? Or do I really want to tell the story of someone who I think who has, is an amazing artist who's has an amazing journey? Well, in question, what first drew you to him? Was it his paintings first and you didn't know? Or did you know? Oh no, I knew it was his visual impairment. And I guess I, you know, I, I was about to say, well, but, but, you know, I'm an academic in this context. Sure. That's what my interest in is, you know, actually now, as I say that, I was like, well, that's just as exploitive as anything, because like, look, academics exploit these populations as much as anybody else does. Mm -hmm. And as a filmmaker, I'm certainly exploiting this thing as a theme. Um, uh, yeah, no doubt. Just as Keith wants to sell paintings, I want to make movies that people want to watch and potentially fund. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he's sorry is good. Look, I wouldn't do this to frankly. I really, honestly, would not do this film if I didn't think he's an awesome painter, and he is an awesome painter. He he creates beautiful stuff. Me as a as, as a landscape photographer, he and I. The first time that I really grokked who this guy was as a as a as a as a person was we were taking a ferry back from an island called Aaron, and we had just done a hike because I was doing a short film about Keith at this point. We had done a, a hike in a place called Glen Rosa, which is this beautiful, amazing, magical glen on this island just off the west coast of Scotland. And so we're, we're on the way back uh, on the ferry. And ferries in Scotland have pubs on them, which is fucking brilliant. <laughs> so Keith and I are in the pub. We're all in the pub. We're just completely exhausted from a How to make a ferry ride not annoying. Not annoying at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> so we're in the pub and I'm talking to him about just like, he's asking me about my landscape photography. I love taking big, broad, panoramic, not actual panoramic, but wide angle, wide field of view landscape photographs. I, I just love it. I, I, it, it's what I look for aesthetically. And so he was asking me about my work. And so all of a sudden we were just talking about landscapes and he was describing how he goes about his process. And it was just, you know, it was two artists talking about their, you know, what they do. And from that day moment on, I, I just, he's my favorite person to talk to about landscapes, about art, about perspective, about technique. Um, and he's a painter and I'm a photographer. So every time I watch him work or, or have him talk about his work, I, I learn something about his craft. And one of the processes is that now I've been working on with Keith for two years is that I get to see him work a lot and not a lot of us. And that's a privileged position. So as a documentary filmmaker, you always want privileged access to a particular kind of story. One of the privileges of this story is like, how many times have you been able to just hang out with, an, with a painter and watch them paint? You know, that's a rare experience. Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot of painters would be like, hey, everyone, you know, sit down behind me and watch me paint, you know, because literally you're watching paint dry. Yeah. And is that exciting? Well, it could be. PBS made, you know, the famous oh, Bo- uh, Bob, Bob Ross. Yeah, Bob Ross made it uh, Happy Trees. Very, you're absolutely right. Very entertaining. You're, you know, I stand corrected. You're right. Absolutely. It was my favorite thing to watch is when I had a hangover um, <laughs> was Bob Ross. Uh, Happy Trees. Yeah. No, you're you're right. You're right. And it, it but, but, you know, you got to think that's potentially also challenging television. Absolutely. And they did something pioneering. I'm really glad yeah. you, I hadn't thought, thought, I hadn't thought but made that correlation, but it's a part of the film that I'm doing with him is that you're seeing him work and the way that he has to work shows you something about actual, how every painter works. He's a, you know, he's a fascinating artist to watch. You, this is, this is something that differs uh, between us. Cause you know, uh, as a narrative filmmaker, mm. especially as a writer director, mm. I, when I'm writing a script with my partner, when we're writing a script, we are just painstakingly going over every single part of what we want to say. We have to have this large thing. Nothing and then is unintentional how, in a feature film. That's no, what I tell my and, students. Yeah. Everything that ends up on screen, whether it's good or bad, someone intended it to be there. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're thinking through every single moment and how that relates back to what you're trying to say or not say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go in knowing that. Mm-hmm. And you... I. I'm assuming there's a documentary film, like you go in with a, an idea, but of course it could change. It could go, it could be different. What was the mm. idea going in for you? What was, what was the why of why you were making with Keith this? Salmon? Yep. Initially is that we were, uh, David Feeney and I were, uh, uh, were presenting at a conference in Tallinn in Estonia, Tallinn, Estonia. That conference was about movement and visual impairment. So it was about dance. It was about all sorts of interesting things. And David's work in aesthetics and visual impairment, um, he, he doesn't do that much work around movement, 
but he recognized that this person, Keith Salmon, inspiration comes from moving through environments. He, Keith Salmon and his, his partner, Anita, um, uh, walk very challenging landscapes throughout Scotland and the British Isles in general. Um, and they do really aggressive hikes and they have to do it with one person's visually impaired. So we created a film to support David's presentation, our work that we were doing in Estonia. And we featured Keith talking about his, how he moves through um, the various environments, both the natural environments where he goes to get his inspiration for his paintings, but also we talked to him about what it's like to walk around Irvine or Glasgow or Edinburgh. And this is your short film, Walking with Keith, which is Walking available with Keith, yeah. on your website. It is. It's, it's on yeah, alibipictures.com. It's under the film section. Shameless plug. That <laughs> original short film was was designed to, um, was presented at uh, the Fragile Festival in 2013. Mm-hmm. So the original intent of, of, of working with Keith was to do this short. But I knew very quickly. I think I knew while we were sitting in that pub, I started thinking about, yeah, it's potentially a feature here. But features are, but I, I didn't ever thought necessarily theatrical feature. This is something that I think an audience, particularly in the UK, has been conditioned to look for these interesting documentary or nonfiction storytelling things because of the way that documentary filmmaking is presented on British television. So through the BBC, of course, through Channel 4, ITV, people in Great Britain have a much richer, consistent diet on television of nonfiction storytelling. There's a lot of work around and about artists on the BBC every day. So BBC Scotland is a place that, 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 and they are interested in the film. They are definitely interested in the film, but that's the audience that I was looking for, thinking that it would have it. I think there's potentially an audience in the United States as well. What in this is going to resonate with them? Well, let, me, let me ask you something. Okay. When, you're, when you're developing a script and a project, mm-hmm. where do you think, where does audience, when do they come into your perspective when you're developing a project? When do you start thinking about who's this for? Hmm. We're lucky, uh, and I say we because my husband and I make films together, um, that we've kind of chosen a, at least a broad direction for all of our work from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been doing it for 13 years now, so we always knew that women drive our stories or mm. not even, and I, and I kind of have started to get away from the gender, like it's mm-hmm. more the feminine. Mm. And so how does the feminine play into our stories? And that can play with men or women. I think that's not a gender specific mm-hmm. uh, idea. Like I, I firmly believe like Calvary mm-hmm. is probably one of the most feminine films we've seen in the past mm-hmm. number of years. And yeah. it's mostly all men mm-hmm. in that film, but it's a feminine Mm-hmm. qualities. But anyway, um, so I think we've had that, that going for us, but when we, when we kind of like, what's the theme we want to explore mm-hmm. in this film, I think shortly after we focus on the theme is when we start to focus on w- who's the audience. And does that shape how the script Absolute, evolves? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. It, it shapes who the characters are, uh-huh. uh, what type of characters they right. are. And then, cause you can, you, and, and what is more interesting or not interesting? Like, well, this theme is more interesting, uh, way to explore it is with this type of character. Mm. And so what is that, you know, what direction does that take us? That's different than what we think of been taught about the auteur. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's my vision, my script, my, my movie, and I'm going to do it and not care about an audience or, or I don't know. I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe I don't that the think auteur, you have the, I don't think you have the luxury anymore. I, I don't think I, the auteur I theory think, is very valid. Uh, sure. And I, and I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's yeah. What comes first? 
Is mm -hmm. it auteur or is right. it just that we have an audience who likes this certain viewpoint? I think to answer the question, to spin it back on myself, like I, I just think this is an interesting story. So I have to go with this idea that, um, and that's a found story as opposed to a cultivated story. So that's where I guess you and I talk about different in these projects. Yeah. I think effective documentary filmmakers, I just effective storytellers are always have their ears open for some interesting wrinkle. I just yeah. happen to look at stuff that happens in the world around me that's already happening and I keep my ears open. Well, and I love that, but we, there's part of this not luxury that we don't have anymore is we have to think about how to find money for these mm. things. So do, can we have, do you feel like we can have that complete luxury to, to be able to just do whatever story comes that we find interesting and hope the money is going to come? Or do we have to be a little bit more strategic about it and see, oh, well, there's this underserved population. Maybe we can make a story for that that resonates with us and still hits all those soul requirements, well, but is a way at possibly an easier time to find the funding for. And is... Is that still a valid project you know, without selling your soul? <laughs> let's talk about the Keith Salmon project. Um, look, I I could really exploit the notion that this film's reliance upon Keith's visual impairment. I could go to and I, I as I a producer, my, that's the first thing I look I looked at. I was like, like well, who's here's, who's going to pay for this? Absolutely, I'm in the same boat with Keith a little bit on this, and it's not because I. It's not about my identity as a filmmaker that like I feel like, oh, well, I don't want to go the quote unquote charity route, but there are charitable organizations. And believe me, I have a whole list of them that are potentially, you know, funding partners. I think it's because I don't want this film to serve as a piece of activism first. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to make the film as like, here's a blind dude who's painting paintings. And isn't that awesome? Um, it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I actually want a more holistic story about an artist. Here's the thing. Any filmmaker, you talk about the, and almost any, until the film is actually done, until it's a, in, in, on a screen, until after it's been and on not a screen. Even, I would say no film is done, merely abandoned, when it's merely abandoned. And sometimes it should be abandoned. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole idea of finishing something. But yeah. like, like right up until like the last credit rolls, you're going to ask me, like, oh, how are you going to make this film? And I was like, fuck, I don't have a fucking clue. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I'm sorry, filmmakers out there, I wish we could be all more honest about this. Like, it could be even done. Like, I'm, like 10 years from now, I might actually wake up in a cold sweat being like, fuck, did I finish that film? <laughs> or how am I going to finish that film? And that film might be 10 years done. But I was still like, look, honestly, I don't know how. Mm -hmm. Well, and none of us, even, even when we feel like we've got the, the magic formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if it'll actually work? Well, so I wanted the opportunity to see, like, as a documentary filmmaker or any kind of other filmmaker that I am, to be able to work someplace else. So that led to how I wanted to learn how UK filmmakers make movies, independent movies. And I've learned a lot. And part of that journey is that I have to raise money for these for this film. I want to raise as much of it as possibly in the United Kingdom because it's a story about a British citizen, a Scottish citizen about Scotland. Um, and many of the people who worked on the film are from Scotland. I mean, I, I believe that the film's home, even though I live in Seattle, the film's home is in the British Isles. It's in Scotland. Um, that's where this film belongs. And I want to be, to some degree, identified as a Scottish filmmaker in this context so that I can learn the system. And I've already done some things that just don't, aren't done 
this way, independent filmmakers and, and, and there's a lot of lot less independent film being produced in, in Scotland and the rest of the United, K- the United Kingdom than there is in the States, you know. Um, and I've already just made this film or been making this film very much like an American does. And I have a co-producer in, 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 in Glasgow and she's like, well, that's, we just don't do it this way. Mm-hmm. But I, we really appreciate the fact that you're doing it this way. Like bootstrapping a film. Mm-mm. Most of the documentary filmmaking that I'm talking about that gets shown on the BBC or, or Channel 4 or something like that, it's commissioned. You know, um, you, it's, it's hard to... Well, there's an infrastructure uh, yeah. behind commissioning it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Which there's these... foreign, completely foreign here. Uh, com- right. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's rare that an independent filmmaker comes to, like, the BBC and says, I already have a film. Do you have room for this? It's like, no. And we're, we still might have to confront the fact that, like, I'm... I'm f- Fully transparent. I'm gunning for BBC Scotland. I want to get this on, you know, in BBC Scotland Um, uh, because I want to know how that process works. Where goal is we're going to do a rough cut, which we're gearing up to, um, and then get it because they're interested in looking at the film, but they're not interested in commissioning it, Mm -hmm. you know. So we're going to get to a point where we're going to get a rough cut. It's going to be cut in in, in the UK. It's going to be cut in Glasgow. Um, And then we're going to give it to the BBC. And I I full on expect they're going to come back and say, this is great. We'll keep 30% of your footage. We'll give you, you know, a a producing and maybe directing credit, but we'll we'll just finish it for ourselves. That might happen. And then I have to make a decision if that happens that way. Because there's tight control. With commissioning, you get control. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it's different. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to make a movie about something, and I'm going to do it. And I'll, I'll tell you, though, with a, with a broadcast partner that I could work with regularly, that I could bring ideas to, and not have to think about soup to nuts at the beginning or worry about that might be a great opportunity. I want to learn if I can get into that universe mm-hmm. and how that functions. Because bootstrapping a project like you know is anxiety for however many oh. years that you have to deal with all it. But, the time. But if I, I'm willing to give up, gosh, I'm even saying this publicly, I'm willing to give up some autonomy for the opportunity to work collaboratively with people in a way that makes the pressure of being responsible as a sole filmmaker less. Whatever It Takes is produced by Pete Ryan, Lindy Boosted, and yours truly, Dan Thornton. Recording and engineering by Gary Mula at the Bonnie Love Recording Studio in scenic Columbia City, Washington. Stay in touch. Give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know other things that you'd want us to talk about. We look forward to hearing from you.